Hey, Center Point Church, Varico. My name is Bryant. Um, I'm the lead pastor here, and I just want to welcome you, regardless of whether this is your first time or you're a long time. Um, I'm coming to you via video today because I'm actually in Wesley Chapel at our Center Point Church, Wesley Chapel campus, as we introduce live our brand new campus pastor out there, Chris Olson and his wife, Katie. And so this is a monumental day in the life of our Wesley Chapel campus. And so I'm out there live, but I didn't want to disrupt this series as we roll in to Elements Park. Part four, and next week I'm going to be back with you live. But if you haven't been here, and I would so encourage you to go back on iTunes, go to our website, go to SoundCloud. But if you haven't been here or you missed one, here is kind of the whole thrust of this series, and it centers around a question. What would your life look like if you had absolute, perfect, out-of-the-box, unshakable, like death-defying confidence and faith in God? Like, what would your life look like if you had that? Like, the kind of confidence where no matter what came your way, your faith and your trust in God was, like, unshakable. Like, you were willing to move forward even when you couldn't connect the dots and maybe you wouldn't choose the circumstances, but you just believed that God was with you, that God was up to something. The kind of faith where you're not held back by your past, you're not like hemmed in by your circumstances, you're willing to initiate, you're willing to step out and risk, you're willing to do that thing that God's prompting you to do. And there may be some fear, but you're not allowing your fear to hold you back because you just believe that you can trust God fully. Like what if you had that kind of faith, the kind of faith where even in the midst of hurt and pain, and maybe you've met people like this, you just believe that God is going to leverage that for a better future, that God's going to be with you through that, that God can be trusted. Like what if you had that kind of faith? And throughout this series, here's what we've said is that's exactly where God wants to take you. God wants to move in your life at the level of your trust and your confidence in Jesus. Because here's what all of us know about relationships is that relationships are only as healthy as the level of trust. And what we have been invited into, if you're a follower of Jesus or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus is an invitation into relationship. Like we're invited into not do nine more things, not simply avoid evil or don't engage in this sin. Like obedience is not the number one thing that Jesus is after. The thing that he's after is trust because obedience will come along with trust eventually. God wants a relationship where you trust him, that it it is growing in faith. And so the thing that he wants to grow up, to blow up, and to activate in your life is your faith and your confidence and your trust in him. That's where God wants to take you. Because the greater your faith, the greater the relationship is going to be, and the deeper the intimacy. And so throughout this series, here's what we said is the kind of faith that I just described that's available to you. That kind of faith is, it's not for some special select group of faith-filled people chosen by God. If you are a follower of Christ or if you ever become one, this is where God wants to take you. God wants to grow your faith. So then the other big underlying question in this series is this. Like, how does God produce that kind of faith? Like, how do we experience that kind of faith? And here's what we've said is there's basically five elements, hence the name of the series. Like, there's basically five things that God uses to grow your faith. Like, if you ever sit down with somebody who's got, like, this kind of faith and confidence in God where you admire it, if you dig down and you ask them questions about their story, I guarantee at some level it will vary, and each one will be used at different levels and degrees. But basically, these 
these five elements will show up in the story of anybody who has growing faith and confidence in God. And so here's the five things that we've looked at. First, providential relationships. For God to grow your faith, it's going to involve other people. And then second, personal ministry. At some point along the way, everybody's story includes stepping into doing and being involved in what God's doing around them private disciplines. And then the fourth thing is practical teaching where the first time they understood the scripture and they were actually willing to do something. And then fifthly, pivotal circumstances. For your faith to grow big, generally something big happens along the way. But these five elements are elements that God will leverage along the way if you allow him to grow your faith. And as we've said, these aren't things you do. Like you can't do some of these, but as you position yourself, as you're aware, God will begin to intersect these things with your life and to grow and activate your faith. So today, here's the one I want to look at real quick, private disciplines. Like everybody's story along the way of growing faith and confidence in God, it's going to involve this at some level. Now, as soon as I say this though, you're like, I don't, I mean, I don't really like this word. Like discipline is just, it's kind of uncomfortable. Discipline is like not a word that we like. Like I'm uncomfortable with this word. And it's got so many different connotations. But he, here is, and I'll draw the connection in a second, but here is basically my definition of discipline. It's just this. What you should do, even if you don't feel like doing it, like the thing or things that you should do even when you don't feel like doing them. And the thing is, like, there's a hundred of these. I can talk long enough about discipline just in any area of your life, and eventually you will feel like crap. Like, eventually you'll get to the place, no matter how disciplined you are, to go like, man, I am a loser. Because it's just one of those things. Like, there's all, we all have things we should do. All thing, all, we all have things that we should engage in, areas where we should be more disciplined. I mean, you could go down a huge list, whether it's eating healthier or eating less or going to bed earlier or getting up earlier or spending more one-on-one time with your kids or spending less, saving more, budgeting better, having more mental health days, um, being romantic with your wife. I mean, on and on the list goes like there's a million things when we talk about discipline. And then, come on, if you have kids that's a whole nother thing because there's, there is this huge massive list of like what it means to be a good parent, all the things you need to do, all the disciplines you need to engage in. In fact, here's what I wrote down. I stole this from somebody's blog. This is, this is like parenting in 2017. Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate understimulate, improperly medicate, I mean, who hasn't done that at some point, helicopter, neglect them in a screen-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of in- independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard, and 1.5 siblings spaced at least two years apart for proper development. And, and don't forget the, the coconut oil. Like, that's... Like that's all. Like that's what you face as a parent. And then in every other generation, it, like success for a parent was basically feed them sometimes, right? Like I mean, there is certain days. I've got three kids under five. If you attend, you probably know that. Certain days where if they are alive, 
and I am alive, and they've eaten something, and heck, it was a Pop-Tart, but they ate something. That day was a win. Like, we survived, and we feel good about ourselves. But, like, this is what we're dealing with. And, and so when we talk about discipline, there's a million things. And if I talk long enough, you'll feel bad about you, and I don't care how disciplined you are. Like, one of the big things for me is exercising. And, like, I have a weird relationship with exercising in that, I t- like, exercising slash working out, like I exercise at some level, but exercise slash working out, like I totally believe in it. Like I think it's a really good thing and I full on want the benefits of it. But the weird relationship I have is I just struggle in a big way. And the reason that I struggle with working out or exercising is I hate it. Like I absolutely hate hate it. And I've always thought it was, well, I just haven't found the right like means of working out. Like if I just find the right method, it's going to work. And then only to find as I just try different methods, I, I hate all of them. Like it just sucks. I don't want to do it, but I want the benefits of it. Like I'm all about it. But when it actually comes down to doing something, it is like, it's just difficult. So we, we all have things. And then Real quick, like you meet people who are disciplined in some areas, and this true, like you're inspired at some level, and then you act, and then you're annoyed. Like my wife, when she gets up in the morning, she's just, she's just like ready to go. So if it's like 6 a.m. or it's 5.30 a.m., she doesn't need real coffee. It's just go happy, happy. And my little girl is the same way. And then me and my three-year-old are like, stop talking. Like I need some time. And I'm kind of inspired that my wife gets so much done um, before 7 a.m. But then there's a part of me that I'm just kind of annoyed, like just shh. Like, I, uh, morning people annoy me. I've got this guy that at like 5.45 a.m. is just happy jogging by my house. And it's, I look at him and go, man, that's, I should do that. Like, I'm kind of inspired. But then I also want to find a garden gnome and I want to take you out because you kind of annoy me, you know? It's, that's just kind of the nature of discipline. And like, you can be inspired, but you're also kind of annoyed by people like that. But here's the other thing, and I got to move on, but here's the other thing about discipline is, isn't this true, is that disciplines or habits, which is really another term, maybe you like that term better, but discipline or habits over time can become obsessions. Like you just start doing them and then eventually it just becomes a full on obsession. Like how many of you, and I know it's a screen, but you can still raise your hand. How many of you like are big time into running and cycling? Like, lift your hands up. You have lots of energy. Like you, like, you just are into it. And I don't think, God bless you, there is maybe not anything else that, that people get more obsessed about than those areas. Like, you just get all in. You start cycling, and suddenly you have the shoes, and, and then you wear that outfit, and you just, which I think is why cyclists always cycle in groups, like, with other people, because um, I, I don't think you could wear that by yourself. But you, like, you just get all in, man, whether it's running, whether it's cycling. I mean, it, disciplines just have that, just have that pull. The, the habits that all of a sudden you, you become borderline obsessive. But here's my point in all of this, and, and here's where this connects with us in just a second, is that generally healthy disciplines or healthy habits lead you in a good direction. 
Like generally healthy habits, if they're done for the right reasons, and sometimes even if they're not done for the right reasons, lead you in a good direction and there's a payoff on the other side of them. And here's where this connects with faith and connects with this series is that this whole idea of spiritual disciplines, like this it has a direct connection to your growing faith. This has a direct connection with what God wants to do at the level of your faith and your confidence in God. Now, here's the thing, and this is where a lot of us are, is all of us, maybe not all of us, but if you're a follower of Jesus or you're kind of considering this whole thing, like you look at other people who have incredible faith and you think, man, I just, I want some of that. Like, I want to experience unshakable confidence in God. I want to be willing to be bold. I want to be willing to step out. I want to be unwavering in my faith. And all of us want that. All of us want the benefits of that. But in a lot of cases, we don't want to engage in the tedious journey that actually develops that. Like it's just, it always requires something on the front end. There's always a little bit of sacrifice. We always have to, at some level, step out. Like back in 1860, um, and this back in the day, this used to be a big preacher story. So I don't know if you've heard this before, but it it really is a great example. In 1860, there was a guy by the name of James Blondin if you're into like tightrope walking. Um, And James Bonding in 1860 was like the man in regards to like tightrope walking, specifically across the Niagara Falls. In 1860, he did this big event where he walked across this tightrope on Niagara Falls. And this will give you embarrassing insight into me is that I've actually read books about this, um, which is embarrassing. But he, he rode a bike across the falls. He, he was in like a, a sack that he went across the falls. He was blindfolded across the falls. And like, it was this huge event. I mean, it's 1860, you don't have anything better to do. But it was a huge event where there were hundreds of people. And it said that like people were so loud, would scream so loud that it would drown out the falls. Like it was a big deal. And so James Blondin did all of this. The crowds are going crazy. And then at one point in this event, he gets a wheelbarrow and says, how many of you want to see me take a guy in a wheelbarrow across the falls on this tightrope? And everybody goes crazy like, yeah, yes, go Blondin. Like we want to see, I mean, everybody goes nuts. Like, yeah, we want to see that. And then he turns to the crowd and goes, okay, who wants to volunteer? And everybody's like, ah, no, like I'm not, like I want to see it. I want to see the benefits of it. I want to experience it, but I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow, like, which is, it's kind of what we do in regards to faith, man. We, we want it, we admire it, we want the payoff, we want the benefits, but it's like, kind of like James Bond and like, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? No, no JK's, no. I, like, I'm, I'm all about it. I want to see this thing happen, but I'm not, I'm not actually going to step out. I'm not going to get into the wheelbarrow. In many cases, the faith that we want and the tedious journey that it requires causes us to stop short. But here's what you need to know. Growing faith at some level Growing faith requires something from you for God to do something in you. At some level on the front end, it always requires something. And so as we talk about private disciplines, this whole idea of kind of personal time with God, here's what you'll discover around people who've ever engaged in growing, strengthening faith in God is that somewhere along the way, it involved these things where they talk about a personal prayer time. They talk about like getting in the scriptures and getting in God's word just personally. And they didn't become a theologian, but they just carved out time and it became a priority in their life. Or they'll talk about 
financial generosity, where there was a point where they didn't want to, they were fearful, they were a little insecure about it, what's going to happen, but man, I'm just going to trust God with this, I'm just going to do it anyway, I'm going to write the check anyway, and through some of these personal habits and private disciplines, God began to grow their faith. God began to do something at the level of their faith, and here's the thing that you'll discover. It was never about how it impacted somebody else, because at the end of the day, that's not the main goal. Like, it's not about what generosity is going to do for somebody else, though it's going to do something positive for somebody else. It's not about God answering all your prayers. It's not about the fact that God needs you to read the scriptures. Like, that's not doing anything for God. It's an issue of your faith. It's about your growing faith. And anybody who has a story of bold, undaunted confidence in trusting God— Part of that journey involved learning these private disciplines of prayer, studying the scriptures for themselves, reading the scriptures, giving generously, and God began to do something at the level of their faith. Now, here's the, the heads up real quick before we dive into it, is, is with some of these things, and this is, involves a lot of what we talk about around here, but there's a tension that may develop. Where you just, I don't know about that, or I'm not sure I believe that, or I don't know if I have time for that. And here's what I would tell you. Where you feel tension, you need to pay attention to that. Pay attention to the tension, the angst, the I'm not sure, I don't know if I can, because I'm telling you that tension is an invitation. Where you feel the angst, God wants to grow your faith. Where you're, man, I don't know if that'll do any good. I don't know if I can engage in that. I don't know if I can be consistent. I don't know if I have the time. That tension, that pushback is literally an invitation for God to grow your faith. It's just like working out, which I obviously know nothing about, as I just stated. But it's just like working out where, here's what I know, is that to grow your muscles, your muscles are stretched and then you give them time to rest, and then they begin to build and grow, and then they're stretched again, and then you give them time to rest, and they build and grow. This is exactly what God wants to do with your faith. Like, it's really a good thing where you feel that, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure, I, I just, I, I don't know if I, I really believe that, because that's the area where you feel that tension. It really is an invitation. It's where God wants to grow your faith and your confidence in him. And here's what's true about your faith journey is this is going to happen your entire journey of life because at different seasons, your step of faith today is going to be inadequate tomorrow because God is constantly going to move you forward. God is constantly going to want to stretch you at the level of your trust and your confidence in him. So what we're talking about is a faith issue. That when you decide, man, God, I'm going to trust you in these areas, I'm, I'm going to engage in this, I'm going to take a step, God begins to move at the level of your faith and your confidence. In it. And here's what's really cool is, this is one of the elements that we've talked about in this series that you can actually control. Like some of these elements you can't do. You can be open and you can position yourself, but you just kind of have to wait on God. This is one of those things where you can take a step, you can begin to move forward, and God can begin to work. And so here's how Jesus describes all of this one day when he's talking to his guys in Matthew. And here's how he positions or talks about this whole idea of private disciplines, though he doesn't use those words, and how God grows your faith and your confidence through them. Here's where it picks up. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. And basically, acts of righteousness just means your personal, private disciplines. This is the personal, internal part of your faith journey. This is not out loud. It's not a public thing. But what you do internally is going to affect what happens externally. 
And so be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. Why? Because they're private. This is, this is the personal part of your faith journey. Because if you do, this is crazy, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so right here, Jesus says, okay, there is something about what I'm going to talk about that moves the heart of God. It's not that he loves you anymore. It's not that there's more of his grace. But there's something about what I'm about to talk about that literally gets God's attention, and there's a reward for it. And immediately you go, well, I'm not doing any of these things for a reward. That's fine. I didn't make this up. I didn't even say this. Jesus did. There is something that God honors that moves the heart of God that gets God's attention when you engage in these areas and when you come from the right approach. What he's about to talk about is not about getting God to do something for you. What he's about to talk about is not about getting notice. It's not about getting what you want. It's about when you approach what he's about to talk about with the means of, I want to grow my faith. I, I want to grow in my confidence in God. God is moved by that. And then here's the couple examples that he gives starting in verse 2. He says this. Here's what I mean by acts of righteousness or private disciplines or, or personal spiritual habits. So when you give to the needy, so when you give to the needy, and what he's talking about just real quick is in the first century temple, they would have like um, their tithe would be like 18%, which means people who went to temple would give 18 to 20% of their income to the temple for what God was doing. But then there was this thing called almsgiving where people would line up outside the temple who were needy, who were marginalized, who were hungry, and people who were coming to the temple would give almsgiving to these people or would give to the temple to give to these people. And so when he's talking about giving to the needy, he's talking about this almsgiving on behalf of people who like need it, who have great need. And so he says this, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. Basically, listen, you, you don't have to post on social media everything that you do and every need that you meet. And so he's like, these guys, man, they love to make a public spectacle of like their acts of faith, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the personal, private, spiritual habits and disciplines of your life. And so he says, um, end of verse 2, they don't, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. And the reward they received is really clear in this passage is they're honored by men rather than being honored by God. And it's not wrong to be honored publicly, but he's saying in this case, like that's kind of their agenda. That's their goal. But what I'm talking about is not being honored, not gaining attention, not getting God to do what you want. This is, this is about what God wants to do with the level of your faith. And so verse three, but when you give to the needy, don't let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse four, so that, this is purpose statement. This is the result of, so that your giving may be done in secret. And then your father who sees, which is huge, because have you ever felt like there were some things that you were doing in regard to your faith journey, you wonder, man, is, is God even paying attention? Does, does this even matter? Is God even, like, is he even engaged with what I'm doing? Like, there's those moments that we could just be straight where, man, I'm trying to be faithful, and it seems like my faithfulness is, like, it's just completely irrelevant. It doesn't even matter. I, I think it's why Paul writes in Galatians, listen, that you're going to feel that way sometimes. 
Don't give up and don't grow weary. Don't get tired in terms of doing what you know you need to do, in terms of doing what is good. Because listen, there's a promise. God sees. God knows. And even when you think it doesn't matter, it matters. God's involved. And so it says, your father, intimate relation, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Meaning, it matters. And the reward, I think, is clear in this scripture, or one of them is you're honored by God. Like God does something in your life through your willingness to say, God, I trust you in this area. Because here's what you need to, again, you need to remember, this is all about faith. It's all about trust. What he's talking about here is, I want to grow your confidence in me. Come on, just a question for all of us. Like, what if you believe that? Well, like, what if you, what if you believed? Well, I'm not doing this to get a reward. I, I, listen, again, I didn't make this up. Jesus did. But what if you really believed that God saw, that God knew, and that God rewarded your financial generosity? Because why? Because it's an act of faith. It's an act of trust and confidence in God. And the thing that moves the heart of God more than anything else is your acts of trust and faith in him. Like, what if you believe that? Here's what I would argue, that more of us don't give financially because we don't really believe that. We don't really believe that that's true. We don't really believe that on the other side of whatever God's calling and asking us to do, that it really is for our good and for his glory. But Jesus is saying this, listen, this whole idea of generosity, it's a faith issue. It has nothing to do with money. Every time you see money talked about in the scriptures, it's always connected to faith. Let me explain it this way real quick, and I'm going to move on to the last couple of verses, is what, where do you kind of have the most faith? And for most of us, where we have the most faith, the most confidence is in regard to like our eternal destiny, if I can say it that way. Like you, you trust God fully. If you believe there's a God, you trust God fully for everything happens at the end of your life on. Like, man, God, I believe you. I'm trusting you for salvation. My eternal destiny is in your hands. And, and here's, the, here's the question. Why do you trust God for that? Like, why do you have so much confidence and faith in God for the moment you die on? And the answer is really simple. Because you have no other choice. Like, there's, oh, I've got three options. No, you don't have three options. You have one option. Like, it's through what, and we believe, what through Christ has done, like, your eternal destiny is in his hands. So you place all your faith in him from the moment you die on because you have no other choice. That almost doesn't even require a ton of faith. But here's what Jesus is saying. From the moment of your death, if you rewind all the way back to this moment or even the beginning of the li your life, the thing that you are most tempted to trust in and have confidence in is your money. Like from death on, you're confident, full. Your faith is 100% in God. But from death back, your confidence, your trust, your faith tends to be in your stuff. Because there's this weird thing around money where we associate money, and we even use language to describe it, we associate money with security. We associate money with trust. We associate money with peace. We associate money with happiness. And the scripture is really clear that the number one competitor for your confidence and your faith in God is your stuff. And so if there's a personal God, and there is, 
And if you've been invited to call him heavenly father through what Jesus has done, and you have been, and he wants a relationship based on faith and trust, like he wants you to trust him now, then it would only make sense that he would go after the thing that you are trusting in now that competes for your attention and your affection with him. And that thing is your money. That thing is your stuff. The thing that you are most tempted to lean into to fulfill your God-given desires, and they are God-given, for safety, security, confidence, peace, and happiness. The number one competitor for that is your stuff and your money. And so eventually along the way, as you begin to take steps of faith, God goes, listen, I want some of your stuff. I want some of your money, not because I need it. Not because I, like, I have some kind of, like I need you to kind of move things forward, but because I want to do something at the level of your faith and your confidence and me. And the thing that competes for that more than anything else is your stuff. And so when you get to the place to go off the top, God, I am trusting you with this. It is a declaration of confidence. It's a de- declaration of faith. And the scripture says it moves the heart of God that it does something to capture the imagination of God. I mean, come on, isn't it weird? Like how stressful and emotional we get about money? Like, why is that? Like, it's just, it's just pieces of paper with dead presidents and Benjamin Franklin. Like why, like, why are we so stressed out? Why are we so emotional about that? Because it's not just money. It's your perceived sense of security. It's your perceived sense of peace, of happiness. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to trust me. This is all about faith. It's why we say this all the time here is that really the the means taught in scripture is this, give off the top, give first, save second, live on the rest. Give first, save second, consume the rest. Because when you give first, it reorders your financial world, but it also begins to do something at the level of your faith and your confidence in God, maybe more powerfully than just about anything else does. Because here's the cool thing. If you want your faith and confidence to grow, if you want your passion for Jesus to grow, money's one of the big things where you actually control that. The scripture says when you redirect your money, it actually redirects your passions. It redirects your heart. It redirects your faith. And so if you want your faith to grow, if you want your passions to go to something different, just send your money to something different and something begins to happen. We did a series just recently called That's Crazy. You can go back and listen to it on our website, but we talked all about the fact that you have to learn how to be generous. And so I mean, I would so encourage you if you weren't here to go back to that series, but this whole idea of give first, save second, live on the rest is a declaration of God. I am trusting you. It's all about faith. And then Jesus moves on, verse five, aren't you glad? Verse five, he says this, here's the other example. And when you pray, this is a time thing. This is a dependence thing. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Like it, it's all about a public spectacle. It's all about getting patted on the back. They're sitting out there praying for 45 minutes in King James Version English, and it's just boring everybody to death. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And then at this point, again, just like generosity, he connects prayer with rewards. Well, I'm not doing it to get a reward. Okay, that's fine. Again, this is Jesus. He's just saying there's something about this that moves the heart of God. And then he says, verse 6, when you pray, meaning this is your personal time with God. 
Like there's a corporate aspect to this, but when there's nobody else around and it's just you, and I would put with, along with prayer, just personally reading the scriptures. When you pray, when you personally spend time with God, it says this, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. And here's what he's saying. When you carve out time. We're saying like God doesn't see when I'm driving down the road and pray. No, I'm not saying that at all. But there's something about when you really like make it a priority, you carve out some time and go, God, I want to declare the fact that like I'm dependent on you. I'm surrendering to you. Like I need you. God does something through that. Like when you go beyond just emergency prayers of God, help me, God bless me, God stop me, God protect me. And like, no, God, I am, I am carving out some time and I'm just declaring the fact that I need you and I'm taking my most valuable asset, which is not my money, it's my time, my most valuable asset and saying, man, God, I want to honor you. I want to give this to you and I want to open up the door for you to work in my life. And here's what it says at the end of verse six. I love this. Then your father, again, most intimate reference possible because this is all about relationship. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, meaning he knows he knows. Like, it gets his attention. His love isn't more, any more present. There's not some extra measure of grace, but he knows, he's aware, it moves his heart, and it says, he will reward you. Well, again, I'm just kind of uncomfortable with this and reward and that. Okay, that, that's fine. But you just need to know that there is something about these private dis- disciplines, these personal spiritual habits It does something to your faith and it moves the heart of God. It is all about faith because it's all about dependence. God, I'm giving you some of my financial resources and my money right off the top and I'm giving you some of my time off the top and it's my way to declare I need you. I'm surrendering my will, I'm declaring my dependence. I'm surrendering my will and I'm declaring my dependence to go, listen, I need you every single day. I need to see through the lenses of faith. I need to connect with you through prayer. I need to move in my heart to make sure that I'm not trusting my stuff, but I'm trusting you. And so every time I give in these areas, every time I surrender my money and surrender my time and I spend time with you, it is a declaration of my dependence. It's all about faith. It's all about your confidence in God. And here's the thing. If you've ever met anybody with bold, out-of-the-box just seemingly unshakable confidence in God. If you ever are inspired by someone where it just seems like God is working and moving through their life in an incredible way, here's what you need to know. That that public success in regard to their faith, their confidence, and how God is using them, that public success is always preceded by private discipline. Always. That if you want God to use your life in an incredible way, It always begins in the arenas that nobody else sees. If you want your life to impact and influence other people, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you should because you've been created for that. If you want your life to impact and influence the lives of other people around you, you will never reach your full potential until you move in the direction to pursue God in this way. Because every time you see somebody's journey of growing faith, anytime you're moved by somebody's confidence, anytime you see God use somebody in an incredible way, that public success is always preceded by private discipline. Something happens in them that eventually flows out of them. Your faith... At some level, it it begins here. 
Like your internal spiritual habits are going to determine your external reach. Your, your internal spiritual habits are going to determine and at some level all that God wants to do in your life. And when you learn to prioritize and pursue God in these ways, it changes the tenacity with which you live life. Like it starts to change what you do and what you see around you. It, it moves you in terms of your boldness and your courage and what you're willing to trust God to be able to do. But that doesn't just happen. That happens because you begin to take steps to go, God, when nobody else knows, when nobody else is around, when nobody else is cheering me on, I'm going to honor you in this way. I'm going to begin to get in the scriptures. And I'm not, I need to be a theologian. It's going to look different for everybody. But I'm going to begin to put you first. And, and I want to know you through your word and through the scriptures. And I'll tell you what a lot of us would say is that God just begins over time to work. You begin to see God in a different light. You begin to know what he's about. And here's one of the things. You begin to become certain of your relationship with him. That as you spend personal time just getting to know God through the scriptures, when circumstances come, you're not tempted to believe that even though you can't connect the dots, that somehow God has left you because you're so confident of your relationship with him. When he asks you to take a step in the area of how you handle sex or relationships or money or prioritize, it doesn't mean there's not fear, but you're willing to step forward because you are so sure of who God is, of what he's promised, of the fact that your relationship is secure in him and he wants the best for your life. You're not moved by circumstances doubting the fact that he loves you, that he accepts you, that you're worthy in him, that you're secure in him. Something happens as you begin to get in the scriptures that over time, how you view God begins to change and ultimately it impacts who you become and then it moves into terms of what you do and how you live your life. The same is true in prayer as you begin to personally get in prayer. This thing that literally you've been created for to have connection with God, you begin to experience the presence of God and God begins to do something. And it's not overnight. But as you begin those personal spiritual habits, God begins to work. God begins to move. And here's what a lot of people would tell you in terms of, well, what is that reward? What does God do? I think the biggest thing is over time you walk away and there is an unshakable confidence as you give and you see God work and honor that, as you spend time in the scriptures, as you pray, you walk away eventually with an unshakable confidence that God is with me, that God's with me. And I, I think along with that, that in some way God honors that and he honors it in different ways, but there is honor that comes with God. I'm gonna prioritize you first and I'm gonna surrender to you in these areas and I'm just gonna invite you into work in my life. And I think it's what Peter talked about when he wrote in 1 Peter 5, 16, that when you humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and this is an act of humility to go, God, I'm dependent on you. When you humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, it says in due season or at just the right time, God's going to lift you up. God's going to honor that. God's going to move on your behalf. And I think there is an empowering that doesn't happen any other way where you're able to do more than you could do on your own. You're able to handle more than you could ever handle on your own, that your capacity begins to increase and you experience the presence of God. God honors you and there really is an unshakable confidence that God is with you. 
And it begins as you simply begin to take the steps to go, God, I, like, I want this. And here's the thing, real quick, just a little parenthesis. This is all about approach. If this is not about growing faith, this won't do anything for your faith. If this is about somehow getting God to do something, eventually you're just going to get angry at God about promises that he didn't make. Or if this is simply about, I'm going to read the scriptures to accumulate knowledge, uh, you're, you're going to become arrogant and self-righteous and pharisaical and annoying and impossible to be around. Like, knowledge without a desire for relationship and growing faith just makes you an idiot. Or if your approach is, man, I just want to gain acceptance, listen, you have all of the acceptance you're ever going to need. God could never love you more. He never could love you less than he does in this moment. Like on the other side of God's reward is not God's punishment of, well, if I don't do these things, what is God going to do? Is God going to bring down the hammer? Listen, God already brought down the hammer on Jesus for your sake at the cross, and he handled every sin, every punishment, every bit of condemnation, every bit of retribution. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. You are loved. You are accepted. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a child of God. You don't ever have to worry about condemnation again, and you are living from acceptance. You don't ever have to live for acceptance again. He could never love you more than he does in this moment. This is simply about what level of relationship do you want to experience? Next slide. What level of relationship do you want to experience? So listen, the pressure's off. This is not about what, what is God going to do or is God going to bring down the hammer or, or this exhausting pursuit of try to get God's approval. You have all the approval you need. This is simply what level of relationship do you want to experience with God? What level, because it, it happens to the degree, degree of your growing faith and your growing trust in Christ. What level of relationship do you want to experience? And here's the incredible thing. At some level, at least with this element that we're talking about today, you get to control it. You get to move. You, get to, you, 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 don't, you don't have to wait for something else to happen. You can begin to do this. And here's what I'll promise you is that your habits in regard to this area will begin to determine and direct the health of your heart. These habits will begin to determine the health and the direction of your heart, that place where your faith and your confidence in God emanates. And it starts with just going, God, I'm surrendering some of my stuff and I'm surrendering my time and it is a declaration that I need you. It is a declaration of my dependence on you. God, I trust you. See, see, I'm giving you some of my time. I'm giving you some of my money and I'm inviting you to work at the level of my faith because I want my confidence in you to grow. And I'm not gonna be seduced into thinking that I control my time or that anything that I have is because of me. Anything good I have is because you have given it to me. And so I'm trusting you with my time, and I'm trusting you with my resources, and I'm asking that you would begin to work at the level of my faith and my confidence in you. So here's my challenge real quick as we wrap up. Just for the next 30 days, would you give God the first few dollars in the first few minutes of your time? Would you give God the first few dollars and would you give God the first few minutes of your time? Would you just declare, and, and again, doesn't mean there's not gonna be fear, insecurity. Oh God, I'm, I'm not sure. It's a little difficult. I don't know if I wanna write that check, send that online payment, create the time. I got so much to do. There's a stack of things on my to-do list, but God, I'm just gonna trust you in this. I'm gonna take a step. I'm gonna give you my first few dollars. 
off the top to go, God, I'm going to give first. I'm going to begin to reorder my financial world. Spontaneous generosity is not really generosity. God, I want to build this into the rhythm of my life. I want to give to you first, my first few dollars, and I want to give my first little bit of time. Does it have to be in the morning? No, but just try it. God, I just, I want to carve out some specific time to go, God, I trust you. I trust you with my most valuable asset, my time. I trust you with my finances. And I just want you to work in my life for 30 days, the first few dollars and the first few minutes. And again, here's what I would say if right now there's this tension inside of you. I don't know if it's going to work. I I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if it's going to do any good. I don't know if, you know, whatever your excuses are. That tension is something you need to pay attention to because that tension is an invitation. It's where God wants to grow your faith. That's a faith issue. And where you feel that angst is where God wants to grow your faith and go, okay, I get you feel that way. Trust me. Move in the direction so that I can grow your confidence in me. Just take a step. So anywhere you feel that, well, I don't have enough time. And God's like, well, do you want me to take some of your time? No, I didn't really thought about it that way. Uh, actually, I don't know how much time I have. Exactly. So trust me with it. Give me your few, first few dollars. Give me your first few minutes. And where you feel that tension, just pay attention to it because it's an invitation. And listen, it's just a step. I've used this example before, but if you haven't been around here, I'll use it one more time because I think this is so indicative of the heart of our Heavenly Father is when my little kids begin to walk, like they never walk because they know how to walk. They walk generally because their heads are gigantic and they're way too big for their bodies. And so right now I have a not quite five-year-old and he is off the charts, which doesn't make any sense. Like all my kids are small, like uh, my wife and I are not very big, obviously, and like this dude is 96 percentile in weight, 95 percentile in height, and then he's 99 percentile in head. He is massive. Like there's momentary doubts of, is this really my boy? Like I, I like it's just crazy. Like he's just out of control, and he's started to take a couple steps. And what's so funny about that is like, we just go crazy, just like you do if you have kids or you've been around this, like everybody goes crazy. But at the end of the day, it's like, he's not even really taking the steps. His, his head is freakishly large and disproportionate. And so it's just that like gravitational pull moves him forward and he happens to get a couple steps underneath him and then he face plants. But you know what? Every single time he does that, like we go crazy. Like I've said this before, but you never see a parent when their kid takes those first couple steps where they're really not even taking steps, where they sit back and go, you idiot. Like, are you serious? Like, get it together. Pull your balance together. And the two steps you took, they weren't really even steps. Your freakishly gigantic head just moved you forward. Those aren't steps. No. When your kid does that, you go nuts, man. When, when my little kid starts to move forward and his head takes him to take two or three steps, but like we're, we're trying to get it on video, we're going crazy, we're cheering him on. Like it is the greatest thing ever. And I say all that to say, that's the heart of your heavenly father. Like this is not how much or what is it gonna look like or how much time do I have to spend? Just get started. And when you take that little wobbly step that really isn't much of a step of a faith, I'm telling you, your heavenly father is cheering you on to go, that's what I'm talking about. And if you'll just begin to trust me, if you'll just take the first step, if you'll just begin to surrender a little bit off the top of your time and your money, I'm gonna begin to work in this area of your life because these habits will direct the health of your heart and they're gonna grow your faith. And so I'm telling you, as you take a step, I'm cheering you on. So let's go. Just move. And one day down the road, here's potentially the payoff, is you'll get to a place where you will have 
unshakable confidence in who God is and your relationship with him. And what I'll promise you will happen over time for a lot of you is that, and this is the heart of God, this is the heart of your heavenly father, this is what Jesus is inviting you into, is that God through Jesus will win your heart. He will win your trust. And the way you live your life will never be the same. And I think what you experience out of life will never be the same. So would you just come to the place to go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start. God, I'm going to give you my first few dollars. I'm going to give you my first few minutes. We're going to put some resources online on our social media that you can check out. But would you just be willing to take the first step to go, God, I want to grow my faith and confidence in you. And I want to take this little bit of step to go, I, I trust you. See, I trust you. And when you do, there's something about just that step of faith that God honors. God will begin to work. God will begin to grow your faith. Would you all over the auditorium, would you just pray with me? Jesus, I just thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for even right now in this moment what you're doing in the hearts and lives of people in this room. And I just pray right now that you would just give us unmistakable clarity to know what you would have us to do. And for a lot of us, it's not really a hidden thing. It's not a mystery. But God, just give us boldness. Give us courage to do it. Give us, Lord, what we need that we feel like we lack right now just to take that first step and just trust you. Even if we're fearful, even if we're insecure, even if we have some doubts about, is this really gonna work? And, and what's the, what, what is the end game of this gonna be? Just help us to take the first step to go, God, we trust you. We're gonna move in your direction. We're gonna start to just give you our first few dollars, our first few minutes, and just invite you to do something at the level of our faith we could never do on our own. And we pray all of this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen.